Hey there, thank you for tapping over to this episode of Coast to Coast. Art, and in particular music, has a special place in my consciousness, and one I don't think that I'm all unique with. All of us get moved by some work of art that's specific to our interests. Maybe we like a different medium, like sculpture or collage. Though if we have a pulse, something will be moving us if we allow it. The only real difference to me in art is the separation that many of us have between the creative act and the art we're enjoying. While we're expressive beings, far too little of us practice a craft to express ourselves. If it's athletics, painting, music, dance, hell, even building a sandcastle, all of that is art. And all of that is expressing ourselves through time, which is all that art is. If the time is moving a brush, strumming a guitar, or taking a jump shot, some people have categorized Homo sapiens as the creative ape. We seem to take absolutely for granted that birds sing, but they don't do it to express themselves. They do it to mark a territory or find a mate. Other animals dance, but only as a means to an end. Homo sapiens will create for creation's sake, something more of us should take upon ourselves to do. And if we do, I think we'll be better individually and collectively. Some of us, though, get moved into art as a calling and can end up going from attending a music festival to playing it. That actually is the journey for this episode's guest. And one that, rather unintentionally, has a lot we can learn from and pour into our own pursuits. Because something odd but true is whether we're starting a business out on our own or just learning a new hobby, that's all gonna require creative expression. And to learn more about creativity, the beauty is in doing so, we can draw that out from so many other sources and bring it into our lives. How cultivating a habit of doing that and putting time into it will become the source of our inspiration to continue whatever our endeavor is. Expressing yourself is also the best way to get out of yourself and for a moment transcend into a flow that can power you through the next stream of meticulous but necessary tasks. When you find yourself in a flow of that creativity, it can be easier to see that the act of creation and the practice of meditation are closely linked. And the more you build up that creativity and that creation, the more you hammer away at it. The higher states you can reach, the better places you'll find yourself. Now, I'm not talking about some YouTube televangelist higher state here. I'm talking about when you find that you're doing something you enjoy, and for a moment you stop to realize that the world coming out of your eyes looks a little different, looks a little crisper. That's what I'm describing. A tip to get to that place that's actually coming from software development also applies to the impressionist painters, and my guest today, is that when you're working on something, the aim is to take it out of the lab the second that it's ready. Or at the very least, push yourself to have milestones to put it out into the world in some capacity. Just ship the thing. The more you get used to building and shipping it out, the better you'll get. And you'll be able to relish in the accomplishment of completing it. Something that will also fuel you into your next endeavor and you might feel for a minute that higher state I'm talking about. The world has changed 
when with this highly connected environment we're now in, it's easy to distract ourselves, but also never easier to build our own way. Gone are the days where geography dictate career. But on the flip side, we have so much to choose from. How do we find what's really out there and get through the masses that are just deluging us every day? To me, I think it's in the effort. It's in the effort of creating something, taking the time, habit, and cultivating that day in and day out. This episode is going to shine some light on a super talented musician who I believe is doing just what I'm describing. You know, something I think about in our current culture that we take all too passively is the effect that content we take in has on us. Whether it's the art on our walls or the music in our ears, all of that will find its way into us and alter us. On the surface, that's easy to see. We have our power beats that we play when we're working out. But day in and day out, that can take a toll on us that we don't see. That's why personally, I make an effort to be deliberate on what I take in, to make sure that's going to keep me in the right frame. Which when I find a musician who has an amazing message and amazing music, I tend to get very excited. My guest today fits that bill. In this interview, he talks about his creative process, finding inspiration, how he's put it all together on his records, his equipment setup, being based in Pittsburgh, and much, much more in between. His name is John O'Halloran, and he goes by the name Chalk Dinosaur, where he has the unique position to be touring and producing not only just as a solo act, but also a duo with his brother, as well as going on stage with a full band, the spectrum of which we dive into as well. His music is a wide range, which I personally really appreciate. He has produced albums, everything from surf rock to ambient, all the way through dance and jam band. I've become personally a big fan of his by way of my wife, who I have to thank her for sharing his music to me, which led me to reach out to him and, well, resulted in what you're about to hear, which was an absolutely delightful interview. I put in the show description a link to a Spotify playlist I made with some of my favorite Chalk Dinosaur songs. I encourage you to check out. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. With that, I hope wherever you are on our beautiful big blue planet that you're doing well and you're in the process of building a thriving life. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Hey, real quick while I have you here. If you like what you're listening to, please tap that follow or subscribe, as well as sign up for notifications so you'll know when our next season or episode drops. Also, if you're curious to look at our catalog of all that we have to offer and some exciting things we have to come, please visit us at bandwidth.productions. Cool. Well, thank you again for uh, joining. Would you mind just giving us a, a quick introduction and then I'm going to kick us off? Sure. Uh, my name's John O'Halloran and um, composer and producer. And I release music under the name Chalk Dinosaur, uh, sometimes just me and sometimes with um, three collaborators, my brother, John Henderson, Michael Berger. Um, we do albums together as a band as well 
but it's all all chalk dinosaur cool um i want to get into a lot like how i want to kind of structure everything is understanding essentially your artistic process and inspiration and how you how you really produce and where you all come from especially with given how varied your catalog is um but i I ask a variation of this question uh every time someone's on first so i have a a new version of it for you uh typically i asked what do you like to do that makes you happy but instead i want to ask you where are you when you're most happy kind of what's your happy place um probably i mean there's a few happy places one's definitely working on a recording writing a song with no other like working on that one task and really zeroing in on that and not not i'm not good at multitasking so just getting to really immerse myself in songwriting and recording that's that's definitely one of my major happy places and then you know just hanging out with my fiance that's another happy place and then um being at the beach with my family is uh that's another happy place yeah i like that that's uh it's very wholesome i could dig it uh so all right so i want to start very broad and reduce the aperture down a little bit more uh how how do you conjure inspiration so you know kind of like the the greeks used to call it muses you know where where do ideas come from that kind of thing like when you have especially given like i, I want to like set up for anyone who's listening who may not have heard your music your catalog is so varied you know i mean there's like the songs of the eastern you know wind through you know, fire at the beach through like you know sunset like it goes from very dancey you know modular synth sounds to full bands to more ambient things um you know so especially given that like how do you how do you get inspiration and then i kind of want to go a little bit deeper from there I think um, pretty much anything that I hear that I like, um, which, you know, obviously, if you listen to the catalog, you know, you could tell I like a lot of dance music, but I also love jam music. And I I also love just like songwriting as well. Um, So just all of the things I've ever heard that I really... uh, really connected with or I think that all just gets mixed up and it comes out kind of, um, in everything, uh, um, together. And I think, um, kind of just whatever is interesting to me at the time that I'm like sitting down to try to write something is I'll just go with that. And, um, that's been very freeing, not, not, um, confining the music to a certain genre or something yeah i could see that i could see that being very liberating not giving yourself too many constraints or or limiting yourself um where does the idea for a track come from though so do you do you sit down and say i'm going to sit down every day at 7 a.m or whatever time it is and that you're just going to force yourself or you know are you out and about and all of a sudden out of nowhere this idea comes and you know, how, how does, how do you pull it out of the universe? I think the, most of the time it's, I go to the place where I make music in the studio where I have all my instruments and stuff and just start, uh, playing one of them or start putting sounds together on the computer. Kind of just like 
putting yourself in the place, putting myself in the place where I have all the tools and um, kind of just uh, playing, playing around until something comes out that uh, seems that like exciting or like it has potential for, for something else. But yeah, I think um, a big part of it is just, um, I don't know, it's not necessarily a, a daily scheduled thing, but I spend a lot of time down here and any time I have free that I can just have start with a blank idea uh, or blank project. Um, I mean, a lot of times just having an instrument in my hands will generate some kind of thing that could, you know, some kind of nugget that could turn into a, a song. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I'm always very curious about how creative, you know, individuals are able to uh, get their inspiration and where they get it from. Um, like, yeah, it took me years, but I've you know I figured out kind of a rhythm for myself as far as where it goes, and it, it's it's always fascinating how much it varies by the person. You know, like some people staring at a blank page is the scariest thing ever, and they have to have something walking into it uh, versus just kind of allowing it to come as you're building it. Um, so, so like, for example, uh, let's just like the, the golden hour, or, you know, or that, that, uh, that album, um, did you have that kind of idea that the, you know, all of the songs are more dancey, um, or, you know, any, any of your albums, cause they all seem to have a, a pretty strong theme through it. So did it kind of go through that process of, you know, poking around and seeing, you know, what kind of came to you and then build off of that as you're going through it, knowing that this chunk of months you're going to be working on an album or, um, that one was, that one just came together. That was like a accumulation of songs that were all like electronic and dancey. I had like accumulated, you know, a, a lot of times I name my projects just by date. So, you know, I might have like 20 ideas in a month and over, you know, the course of the year or I don't know how long some of those ideas had been sitting around but a lot of them are unfinished and they're just ideas um and so that album was I had you know a handful of them however many were on the album that I liked I would and I wanted to finish um so I kind of went through each one of them and just linearly linearly kind of just all right, I'm going to work on this one until it's either done or I decide to throw it away. And then, um, yeah, then I, I pulled a couple older ideas from that had been done, but just didn't have like a fitting uh, home, I guess. So this album kind of just brought together uh, all of these like accumulated dancey electronic productions. Flow State was kind of the same way too. Um, had just found myself with a pool of ideas that like fit together and then put those together on the album, but definitely didn't like sit down to like write an album like that. It was just, you know, there was other songs I had been writing and like these ones didn't fit on that album. So they just kind of piled up with, um, until there's enough of them that were like, uh, like each other to put them together. Yeah, kind of like uh, building a constellation as opposed to walking in with a plan. 
Yeah, it's kind of a yeah, it was a, a compilation kind of um but there are other albums like um Crystal Coast or Fire on the Beach that were a very condensed period of time where I'm like, I wanna write a beachy, like relaxing, mellow, you know, I had a very specific idea that I wanted to do and then just spent, you know, a couple months just doing that. Yeah, can we can we hang on Fire on the Beach for a second? Just uh, side note, I I really love that. Yeah. I used to live in uh, San Thanks. Diego with my wife, and it reminds oh, nice. me so much of just going to the beach in SoCal. Uh, and then I That's sent it to a buddy of mine, me. and he goes, "Oh, I've I've heard of this before. Also, you know, this is a, a bunch of areas around Long Beach." And I started just Google mapping <laughs> all of the titles, like the laundry mat that's oh. out there that you named. Yeah. And, and I was yeah. doing this with my wife and we we're like, oh my God, like this is the pier. It's all this little, you know, <laughs> radius is it's all the names are from this area. So yeah. oh, how did you do that one? How did you, what was your process through that? And, you know, kind of adding another build to this, did you do that one alone or did you do that one with others? That one was alone except for the second track, Don't You Give Me No, which was, um, one of my musician friends in Pittsburgh sent me like a voice memo on his phone of like the vocals that are on there. Just like this really goofy voice memo. He's like, I have an idea for a song. And then uh, he sent me that. And then I put like the music and like a, arranged the vocals in there. That's awesome. But very postal service. Thanks. Yeah. It was a, it's a really bizarre song. Um, that was really cool. Cause like I never would have made anything like that if he didn't send me this really bizarre voice memo to work with but um yeah i was living in long beach for a couple months because my fiance was doing a travel nursing contract in long beach so we moved there um in the fall of 2021 or 2020 and um and you know that that's like a place where we kind of really like fortified our solidified our relationship you know driving across country and spending all the time you know that's the first time we had lived together actually so it was a very special time and whenever we moved back to pittsburgh and we moved into the place where i'm at now um that was like the first thing that i recorded like the first album and um so that was yeah i just uh I really love the beachy um, surf type of coastal vibes and sounds. And, um, you know, it had been a few years since I'd made anything like that. So I, I definitely wanted to just like dive into that world and just focus on that, um, which is really nice because a lot of times I don't really have a, a plan or a uh, distinct set of criteria for something and that sometimes that open-endedness is can be really difficult to make decisions about and have any kind of direction so this one i had a very clear direction just surf beach vintage like happy um and i was also borrowing some gear some of my friends uh lent me some gear uh so i had a stratocaster that was lent to me, which is like a lot of the guitar work on that album is with the Stratocaster, which I I don't normally have. So that definitely that definitely um, influenced a lot of the the playing on that album 
And then uh, Alyssa, my fiance, she had gotten me a couple instruments. She got me a ukulele and a steel drum. So I wanted to like make something with those. And that's, I mean, Fire on the Beach was from that. I was like, I'm going to try to make a song with the uh, ukulele that she got me. And then um, turn into the, turn into that song. Yeah, that's my favorite. The title track is my favorite off of that. I uh, I probably your most listened to the past two months. I have that been having that. I've been blasting people with it too. I, it's so happy. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I uh, thank you. That's one of my proudest, I think, songs and recordings. Oh well, I'm happy to hear that. I can see that, especially with like the the time period of your life that kind of solidifies with it. And the shacking it up in November makes a lot more sense too. Now that you've told me the the background. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a. Uh, the Huntington Beach was where there's the fire on the beach. Uh, that was like an event that happened. Like we had a fire on the beach, which like I never, I love having fires and I love the beach. And I had no idea that there was a place where they just have, you know, like dozens of public fire yeah. pits that you can just use. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, I know that, that part of, especially from the end in the Midwest, uh, where I'm from uh, and grew up, grew, see, being able to have a fire on the beach that's not like horribly illegal uh, is was like perplexing to me. Also very fun. Uh, yeah. The moons out there and all that. Um, so what was your process for that then? Did you say, I have, I have this concept. Now, how did you go from concept to execution? I think I just kind of chose the tones that I was going to work with like ukulele a Stratocaster like surfy guitar um this steel drum uh so kind of I was just like playing around with those instruments and you know once uh once I had like some chords like a chord loop from the ukulele like then that kind of just sprouts a whole bunch of they kind of the song kind of then like directs you at that point to some degree. And, um, you know, things just start to, to happen. When did you know that you were done with the album? So you, you had that song that was built up and then how did you go to build up more songs? And, and at what point did you know you were, you were done? Cause I mean, I think any creative, the things that they struggle the most with, uh, at least, especially speaking for myself, you know, it's like writer's block being able to to know and get started and to know you're done because you're never really done. I think I wanted to do five, five songs um, at the minimum. Just if I could get five songs I liked, that would be good. Um, I kind of like a five song EP. I've done a couple of those where it's just just a couple songs that are a specific style. And I, I really like that. It's, it's much more approachable project. So I got the five songs that I, you know, felt like they were solid. And then I happened to have two other songs that fit the theme hmm. that were just unreleased, just collecting dust. That was uh, probably the last two songs in the album, which is weird because Spotify for some reason randomly like loves Ballast Point that song which is it was like an afterthought I, th I put it on the album because it was done it was 
um, you know, I like it, but it wasn't something I put a lot of thought into. I, I added the extra two songs also because I wanted it to appear in my discography under albums because it's like a pet peeve of mine that EPs go under singles. Yeah, I hate that. Singles category. It's so frustrating to me. So I wanted to have it appear with, you know, the, the album. So seven tracks is like the criteria. It's, it either has to be a certain length of time or it has to be seven tracks. So it's kind of like... It's very afterthought. I like those two last ones, but they're very, those weren't a part of the recording process, but they, you know, they fit the, they fit the album. So it seemed like a good place to just let them, let them free. <laughs> no use in just like not having anybody listen to them, you know? Yeah, certainly. Uh how have you gotten over the course of your your career to be able to to know to constrain yourself or to set goals like this? Because you know that that's definitely something that I would I would imagine it would take effort to get there. But but did it? Did you kind of fall into it already, um, being very methodical, or did that was that something that took time to kind of chisel away at the marble? To constrain myself, like with the like walking into that the, album, saying, "I know I want to make five tracks, uh, and I want to have it to be this this theme, and I know that if I start with these tones, it'll make it easier." You know. Yeah. Well, I think I or pretty early on, I I started to like doing this the shorter album EP format. Um, I think the first one I did was Kitty Hawk Surf. It was called, and it was just five surf rock songs and i remember releasing that and being just like happy with uh the way that felt and the process of putting that together was i got like the same fulfillment from releasing a full length i was able to like focus more on the songs that were in there um there's just less time to get like off track and lost in the discouraged by the process i don't know i kind of I i really feed off completing something and releasing it so and it doesn't have to be a huge album like if it's i feel like it's got to be more than a single but doesn't have to be a full-length album so i found that like even some of my three song eps are were things that were really satisfying to me um so i just found that that three to eight songs is like a very sweet spot for me in terms of the length of time it takes to make it um, so I can have that like hit of, you know, I just finished something and I get to share it. Um, so I just, I just like that. And um, so anytime I, I'm like, all right, I'm going to work, like I'm working on an album or we're, we're starting to put together music, me and my brother, that will be kind of like, kind of what we're doing live right now, me and my brother. Um, so I think for that, we'll probably have the same thing. Like we it doesn't have to be a full length, but we want it to be five to seven songs. That's like very doable and we won't have to wait like a whole year to finish it kind of thing. So just less pressure and um, the longer stuff sits around, I feel like the more weight it holds like in my brain and um, it starts to like weigh on me that I have these unfinished things. So keeping it a little shorter is has been nice. And then just having the the theme like is really I was gifted these instruments so I wanted to make some music with them and 
probably once I got the first, once I got like my teeth into the first song, I'm like, oh, this is, I like this a lot. I want to make more. Then I was like, all right, I'll, I want to make like, uh, you know, I probably started a couple more ideas. I probably started most of those ideas like in the span of a week and then just spent the next couple months like finishing those. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, how did how did you get started into music? What was your first kind of foray into it? And then what, what at what moment did you say like this is this is what I want to do? Um my mom got all of us, I have three brothers, and she got us all started with classical like violin or piano, you know, from like five years old. <coughs> So that was when I first started playing music and I kind of was doing organized school learning like uh, like either band or orchestra stuff, you know, until I was done with high school. But I didn't really get into the, I guess I started messing around with like computer programs that my brother would had. Um, there's a program called Fruity Loops and another one called acid and they were kind of like, it was almost like video games to me making a beat on these things. And then in high school, I started messing around with garage band started get like, I was really into video at the time film. Like I wanted to do video film and video, but as I was spending all the time on the computer with that stuff, I was like really starting to spend a lot more time messing around with the music programs. And then, um, when I really, really dove in was in freshman year of college. Like the summer before I left for college, I got a recording interface and then I was able to record, you know, then I was able to record all this. I had everything I needed to make like a complete song. Um, so once I started doing that, it's, you know, it really uh, got a hold of me and I just got very, very obsessed with that and found a lot of uh, enjoyment out of making like a completed piece of music which if you go if you go to uh johnohalloran.com you can like hear those first ones and they're very uh kind of embarrassing but it's also really interesting to hear you know you can hear progression for sure um but yeah college that's like first year of college and then by the by the time I finished college, I knew that that is what I was going to try to do, but probably not until junior or senior year did I feel like that was like okay or that it was for real. What yeah, no, the 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 magic of finally getting an interface and being able to record is really nice and I, I did actually check out your website before uh, reaching out to you, and I saw that. And I really like when people still keep their early stuff up because it's it's really inspiring to see the progression, and you can kind of see where all of that comes from and how it you know expands. It's it's really great. Um, what what did you go to school for? It was a film and video studies major. Um, it's kind of more on like the writing side. It's like screenwriting and stuff like that but like kind of more of like an english major almost but um yeah really i was just trying to get through it i don't know probably like sophomore year I'm, 
I just wanted to get through it to finish it. But I really, I was obsessed completely with writing and recording and trying to, you know, make better recordings and stuff. They didn't have a, like a music technology major or anything at the time. But, and, you know, if they did, I, I definitely would have done that. I would have switched. But that was pretty much the closest I could get. I didn't want to do a music major, like a, a performance major or something, because I used to date one and it, it's so rigorous. And it seems like I, my biggest fear is just burning out on it. And because, you know, it's kind of the, the thing that gives me the most joy and fulfillment. And so like burning out on it just was very scary to me. So I didn't want to didn't want to do that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Taking the joy out of it, especially when it's something so rigorous where if you're, if you have the discipline on your own to be able to teach yourself it, that's probably one of the better paths. Well, there's many paths, I suppose. Um, that's really great. At what point did you start playing out and playing live and starting to, to really, uh, shit, was it right after graduation when you shifted into, you know, full time, this is what I'm doing, or at least, you know, trying to, to spend all your moments doing it. Well, I, I was in a band, I was in a band in high school, a couple just like, I don't know, I feel like I would mess around playing with friends, do like Battle of the Bands and stuff, played a couple shows, but started playing Chalk Dinosaur shows the spring of my freshman year of college, um, and was doing that pretty much, you know, as much as we could. It was all, it was all local stuff though. And did that till 2010, so for two years, and then we we stopped um, playing, and I just uh, focused on producing, getting you know just producing and writing pretty much for the next four years. That's cool. How did you come up with the name Chalk Dinosaur? Um. Yeah, it was pretty hard to find. It was hard to think of a name that wasn't already taken. And college, freshman year, I was definitely feeling a huge wave of nostalgia, maybe for like the first time, because it was a very clear line between, you know, childhood is over and adulthood. So it was very, uh, just feeling super nostalgic. And a lot of my early, music is kind of about that feeling but so i think the yeah chalk dinosaur just was trying to think of childhood imagery type of things that was you know not taken a name that wasn't taken so it's just uh that was a combination of words that was not taken yeah and you know felt comfortable with that being the name yeah, I dig it. It's it's fun. I uh, I first heard of you. Uh, well, we saw you in the lineup at summer camp, uh, the last summer camp actually, this this last one and, cool. and also the last one. Uh, and then some people when I was uh, hanging out, uh, just kind of chit chatting and making acquaintances like you do at a festival, they had mentioned uh, going to see you. And then I heard people that we missed a set. I honestly, for the life of me, can't re- remember why. But we missed your set, and then other people were talking about how great it was. And I remember. For just hearing the name, thinking like, oh, I kind of dig that. That's fun. It's totally, yeah. it's totally different. Cool. Uh, so you were yeah. at summer camp this year? I was. Yeah. The dust bowl, Sweet. the giant dust bowl that it was summer camp. 
Yeah. That was cool. That was, I hadn't been there since I went there in 2014 or 15 just um, for fun. And then it was cool to get to go back and to get to play this year. At the same time that we were playing, Mo and Umphreys McGee were, were doing like a joint set. And it was, you know, last summer camp ever. And they were like the longtime hosts. So I feel like the hardcore summer camp people weren't going to miss that one. Yeah, I wasn't one of them. I for, honestly, I can't for the life of me because I, I knew I wasn't. I mean, Mo and Umphreys are good, but I, I wasn't, uh, especially with that being a big crowd, I wasn't uh, too keen on it. Um, but definitely uh, interesting. That had to be a really cool experience going to summer camp and then nine years later playing it. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely cool. I've had a I've I've gotten to have a couple of those experiences over the past five years since we really started kind of since we've continued to kind of chip away with the performing got to play some just some of the the events that i used to go to like peach festival and the workout and um electric forest they're all very it's very cool because we were you know i was not performing you know 2011 to 2014 but was going to a lot of festivals and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And, you know, those, a lot of these festivals were very, very influential and kind of creating a spark for like, uh, like I want to do, I want to be involved with that, like what they're doing. It was definitely cool to get to participate in some of those. Yeah. Congrats. That's a, that's a really nice milestone. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's cool to, full circle yes yeah seriously uh you know in the crowd to uh in front of it um how 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 is that how is it playing because you like you i think you have a really unique experience especially under the same label or the same you know band title of chalk dinosaur you play you have played and you know obviously create and do play out um both as a solo act and as a you know in a band how does that experience differ from you know, I mean, both the creative process, but also playing out in front of a crowd. How is it different when it's just you with your instruments versus you, you know, synchronizing with with other people? Yeah, they're both. Uh, it's it's. Whenever I play, yeah, most like right now we're doing either like me and my brother playing like our our duo arrangement. That's what we did at summer camp. That's what we we've done at a couple other festivals and then some of the shows are four of us. We're playing like music off stuck in between and spectrum and sprout. Um, the more like rock stuff and the duo is nice duo or solo. It's like plays from the same albums and like repertoire, but that's really nice. Cause it's all very, very controlled and calculated like everything is it's just very uh a lot less variables and just yeah more more of a controlled sound and a lot more agile in the way like logistically like getting together to write play travel it's all just like way simpler with two people but what we don't have with the two people is the ability to kind of stretch out a set or 
improvise um to jam um and there's just you know there's less input creative input coming in so with the band it's it's a much more of a much more of like a different product than something like the duo stuff is a lot more closer to like something I would come up with on my own. The band is that stuff is just like a lot of it's just, you know, would never exist if we didn't get together and share our ideas. But you know, the, the, the difficulties with the band is just pretty much all logistically based, just getting together, aligning schedules. Um, it's just exponentially harder and more expensive to travel with a band and also just uh, to have the time, like, especially as we're, we're getting, you know, older now, if we were, you know, in college or like right after college, you know, we would probably be able to put more time into it together. But, you know, everybody's life continues just to get more complex and uh, time gets more scarce. So that that's the that's really the the hard part about the band but i i love the the feeling of creating a piece of music together with them that is totally just a product of the unit and it's not just it's just something that wouldn't exist or we wouldn't think of individually which i mean that's the cool part about being in a band i think yeah is do do you find that the energy shifts for for you as you're up there given the fact that it's like you said it's more constrained versus being able to have more of a i guess uh i want to i want to say chaos but it's not really chaos it's more like constrained or flow almost i feel like um hmm i feel like the way i feel on stage is it's a little bit there's a little more wiggle room for error with the band you know if if i make a mistake or something in my you know one of my instruments i have some kind of issue you know there's three other guys that can carry on and jam or something while i you know figure you know i don't have to do as much also with like the playing like it's kind of nice with the four piece there's I can play less and ha- like sit more in the space. Whereas when it's, it's the two piece, there's, I need to be doing stuff a lot more. And if I don't do it, then it's, you know, there's nothing to cover it up or nothing to like pillow or cushion that. Um, yeah, but really the way I feel on stage is, is pretty much all about how it sounds on stage which is different every show, it seems like, which is, I really want to figure out a way to get that, you know, solid every show, which seems like, you know, doing some kind of in-ear monitor thing is the ultimate destination. But I mean, that'll, that can make me play a lot better and have a much better time if I can hear everybody. If I can't hear everybody or something's off, can't hear myself or something, it's, it's really difficult to kind of, you kind of just have to like trust that 
out front. It sounds good, even though it might sound bad where you're standing. That's really the thing that's like throws me off the most with shows. And I find that it's it's easier to get a good on stage sound with the two piece band. But um we've still had shows where it's not been good, uh, even with just the two of us. But that's kind of the that's honestly the main factor. And then because if I can hear everyone and I hear the other guitar player is doing like a really good solo or something, it's or I hear like the bass player do a sweet fill or, you know, the drummer, you know, anytime anybody like does something really cool, it definitely, uh, is exciting. Yeah. It's gotta be giving you a boost. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I I feel like what you're saying right there is kind of a truism for collaboration in general, where if you're doing something by yourself, it's, it's hard to keep going and hard to keep it, uh, alive. And it's a lot of effort where, once you have more people, if you're able to, to find your role, it, it's a lot easier to, to kind of boost each other up, if you will. Um, how, how do you, how do crowds play into it? So have you, you know, picked up on some crowds are just different in some places versus others, some festivals versus others, venues, cities. How does that, you know, what is the, you know, I, I really like this. There's this David Bowie interview from, I think like 1999. He pretty much predicts the modern internet, which is a whole thing. And it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, but one of the things he says is, you know, he references the rave culture at that time, which you know now we probably just call house music or, I mean, festivals is very similar to that and how there's a call and response between the crowd and the artist and how, you know, the, the music that the artist is putting on almost wouldn't exist in a vacuum if it wasn't the crowd there as well, dancing with it and vibing with it, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm curious how that energy exchange, how that, uh, setting and, and feel can can differ by by day, night, city, venue, and and how does that feel on on stage? Especially once again, like I don't want to keep harping on it, but it is it is curious to to have somebody who is both a solo act, a duo act, and uh, a full band. That's that's usually something that uh, someone's usually in one of those lanes. Yeah, I feel like I'm only recently and still trying to tune into that more because you know for a while I would be so focused on playing what I was going to play good and and not like making any mistakes and making sure I like remembered I don't know I was like kind of a little bit neurotic and uh, a little like stressed um, sometimes so I would you know I would be in my own bubble like doing what I'm doing and I feel like I've been recently trying to remind myself to you know get out of that and like look look around look at what's going on in the room because a lot of times if I do that I I look around and I see somebody having a good time or they're looking at me and you look at them and then they you know a lot of times that it, it just, I just end up like smiling from that and like it lifts my mood. So I'm trying to remember to do that more. And, and the more experience we have with the music that we're playing, the more comfortable I feel, uh, like the less, you know, hyper-focused I am on, on the songs, you know, like they're starting to become more internalized the more we play them. So I'm able to kind of take in the surroundings a little more. But um, it definitely, I mean, that aspect is what I love about the jam 
and festival scene. Like that's what that's what drew me into it. That's what attracted me to it when I first was in that environment around the fans of these, you know, jam bands and like festival type things. Like it the energy is just um everybody's having such a good time. Everybody's for the most part like really nice and um non-judgmental and so i mean just being involved in that scene if there's a room full of people it's usually great and the only time like when i started playing it was indie indie stuff uh in the, you know 2008 2009 and that that scene was a lot like stiffer and um like people didn't seem to be having as good of a time. There's a little bit of snobbery. The bands weren't really as nice. Uh, it was just colder. And so when I switched, now I, like every show I go to or play is uh, everybody is super nice. All the musicians are like I haven't. They're all super cool and nice. Everybody that I've gotten to meet and supportive, and they all kind of also know each other. It seems like it's a very small world, but when was the question the the crowd yeah i mean as long as there is a crowd then it's it is a little weird okay i I guess like this last uh we did have a couple weird experiences because on our last couple shows in vermont and massachusetts um one of the shows we were paired with an acoustic singer songwriter and a lot of the people they were like a local so a lot of the people there were there for her. So during our set, it's very different. It was like electronic, you know, dance music with like loud guitar and stuff. So it, we were kind of like, I don't know if they're going to like it or if like, you know, they didn't come for this. So that can, that can sometimes like mentally uh, make it a little harder to get in the zone if you're thinking about that stuff. And then one of the other shows, like the crowd was all like much older than what we're used to. Um, It's like 40 to 80 year olds. It was like an outdoor, like lawn type of thing. But it turned out like the oldest lady there was the one that was having the best time. She was like in the front dancing. And when I saw that, that was one of those times where I like, I looked up from what I was doing and I saw this, like the oldest lady there was like, having such a good time and that that made me smile for sure um but in general yeah if there's a crowd and they're there to see music it's it's great there's been a couple events where music is kind of it's not a music centric event there just happens to be music there and i don't really like doing those um those don't really seem to be very impactful where it's like this other event but there's also a band. Um, we've done some of those and that's, those just never seem it's, it's so much different whenever it's a people are coming there to see music because they like music and that's, you know, they want it. And there's certain cities for sure, like Columbus at the summit music hall and just like at all the festivals in Ohio, like the, uh, the crowd there is so enthusiastic about music and they're so receptive and um, 
it's it's amazing. And then um, Burlington was like that too. Uh, that was seemed like people were just very receptive to and, and wanted like hungry for music. Yeah, Ohio people they really love music. It's uh, everyone I met from there. It seems to be really into it, which is pretty cool. And yeah. yeah, I totally feel you on if people are there for music or not. It it affects you even in the crowd too. Like, uh, like uh, funny enough, I really like the blues. Uh, I grew up playing and, and listening to a lot of it. And we went to a blues fest a, co- a couple years ago now, uh, thinking it was a blues fest, but really it was like an eating fest. And we we went there to go listen to music, and the music was good, but everyone around us was just really into eating the food trucks that were there. And yeah, within like 15 minutes, we were looking at each other like, we're, we're going to get out of here. This isn't, this isn't. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. It's totally different. Like if that same band were in a venue that, you know, that was the focal point. It's totally, yeah, it totally feels different. And yeah, that affects, I feel like that affects me as a performer. Cause like now I expect, I'm just used to playing in venues where people are there for, for the show. So if I'm playing and it seems like people aren't interested or something, it uh, definitely like makes you feel self-conscious a bit. Or if there's nobody there, which I've played a couple of those shows where there's literally nobody there, then that's just, that feels really weird. That's not a good feeling. Yeah, yeah but those <laughs> kind of just funny, but. Those are good moments though. It gets you uh, used to it. like that, to keep, keep the habit of doing it and build some calluses. That's uh it's still good. Yeah, it's the rite of rite of passage for any performer. You know, you gotta have definitely gotta gonna have some bad shows. Yeah, totally. You don't want the worst thing that could happen to you, and really anything, is that you rock it up to the height or you know some height that's up there, and then you it was not until you get there that you experience your first failure or your first bad experience. Because good point. Yeah, you know what I mean. You have no. I mean, like I I'm in a lot of different fields and uh in tech in particular like every time i see somebody who their first startup just rockets i'm always like oh dude be careful <laughs> like you so much of what got you there is luck and which and timing and I'm not saying that hard work isn't there but you know once you're up there it's that's a really long fall to go down and that's going to be really hard to get up that past that you know like in music the second album making a good second album is difficult oh yeah yep yeah it's definitely a I, I could see that, yeah. I, I feel like um, any opportunity that we've gotten, like it, we've been at a point where we're ready for that, and I feel like that'll be the way it'll keep going. Because I, sometimes I I look at some of these shows, like these massive productions, and like, man, that's like that's a lot. Uh, I don't know how, like playing at Red Rocks or something. I feel like, you know, bands only they get these opportunities when they're they've they've reached a point where they're ready in all of these different aspects and but yeah i agree if you just went straight to just massive success yeah without any of the uh experience or knowledge of um you know all the stuff that that goes into getting there it's it's definitely would be would be very easy to get lost or not know how to handle um certain things but or or lose what got you there in the first place right yeah yeah no uh no worries about getting there too quick for 
chalk dinosaur. It's been probably like 15 years now, so taking the long way. Hey, that's what is it? Uh, there's this phrase that I heard recently that I uh, I'm trying to propagate. It's a uh, long road, high altitude. So it's totally fine. You'll get the, you'll get that's even more apropos of high altitude with red rocks being evoked here. So when you get to that mile high, I will definitely be on a plane with some tickets to go check that out. Like, <laughs> that'll be a hell of a show. It'll be a banger for sure. Yeah, that'll be that'll be cool. I think yeah. Whenever we're whenever we get the opportunity, it'll be at a point where we're we're ready to take that opportunity. But you know, if we were given that opportunity a couple years ago, we wouldn't be ready. We wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, we we could. It just like I feel like it'll come when we're ready. Yeah, that's a But, you know, there's also no like there's no uh I don't know. I I guess there's no ultimate like destination I'm trying to get to ultimately just like recording and writing and releasing all the music is is like what i love to do and regardless of you know performance success or like notoriety is uh it's like irrelevant to that where does that come from because one of the things i wanted to ask you is you know a lot of your music evokes you know uh almost meditation you know, positivity, like what you just said right there of it's, it's about the journey, not the, de- you know, destination. Uh, where does that philosophy come from? Is that just your personal ethos? Do you have, you know, do you study certain things that, you know, uh, I don't want to lead you too much. I, I guess I'll just pause there. I think I started to think about that stuff in probably like 20, 2014 through 2016 kind of went through a period where I was kind of examining things a little more and started to get into, um, yeah, meditation. I read a book called mindfulness in plain English Hmm. that was very, uh, I don't know. I really liked that book. And then also read a book called, uh, the artist's way. I think it's called Julia Cameron artist's way. I think it is. That book was awesome. That was like about that's where I I got started with journaling, like doing daily, you know, three pages of journaling, like uh, stream of consciousness journaling, and kind of between those two things, it kind of I kind of was getting into more of just that like philosophy, self help type of, you know psychology stuff um and that's kind of just uh that kind of has definitely shaped my outlook and my uh approach since then um so yeah i've definitely just been like drawing from a lot of similar themes like since then about um just like perception and perspective and you know, uh, well, there's more, but I, I can't remember. There's there's definitely topics that I I talk about a lot. I feel like in the songs. No, yeah, it, it comes through. Uh, my wife actually, she's the one who got into you first. I, I think she's even a, a bigger fan of yours than I. You actually sent her a T-shirt twice. Uh, oh, okay, <laughs> Raina. Raina, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, 
but she she was noticing that and when she first got into listening to you you know I, like we would she would play it in the car and i would be you know liking the riffs and being catchy to it but that was what really drew her in was how positive your music is because you know her and i yes. are both really big audiophiles and one of the things that we talk about is you know uh, what the music's content is seeps into you you know and, and it, it can yeah. kind of raise you up or it can suck away from you almost, you know, and sometimes agree. if it's a sad song or if it's an angry song, like that's totally something that maybe you need in that moment to, to get that out of you. But if it's mm-hmm. something that you're just kind of, I don't want to say mindlessly, habitually just having on, like that's going to definitely yeah. seep into you. And, and one I of agree. the things that really comes out in your music, uh, which kudos to you, because it sounds like it's intentional, uh, which is what I was, was, try not to lead you into as curious if it is intentional is, you know, positivity, working on yourself. Uh, like the, the, the one that uh, Raina wanted me to bring up to you was pattern recognition, you know, and you know, something along the lines of how you say in the song tomorrow is like another chance to recognize the, the patterns you're falling into. And I think yeah. that is, it, it's so profound in such a subtle way. Cause I think music is such a great way. I think all art is, you know, a way to kind of get you outside of yourself and see things from a different, you know, perspective. I think, you know, like George Car- Carlin and comedy, like talk about in mm-hmm. an epic way to just call yeah. out society and all the bullshit. Love him. You know, uh, but you know, there's other ways to do that as well. Um, and you know, like like pattern recognition, for example. Like, do you walk into that song trying to to have that type of concept coming out of it? Is it just something you're journaling about? And, and is this is it intentional? that you're trying to make music about these type of things, or is it just really the embodiment of the fingerprint of who you are in that moment? I, de- I think a, a portion of it's definitely intentional because I feel like I noticed what you were talking about where, you know, music has so much power to change the way you feel. Um, it can like instantly change the way you feel in a pretty strong way sometimes. And I mean, my first two albums, that was like a lot of sad, you know, heartbreak type of stuff. I was also like really into Death Cab for Cutie and, and Weezer at the time. And, you know, that's how I was processing that at the moment. But like once I started uh, kind of realizing that, you know, there's a lot of music that makes me feel just good. And I just... uh started to want that as much of that as I could like listening um just stuff that makes me feel good and or or makes me think about things and you know you kind of get to choose the emotions that you want to you know inject which is what, what you were saying and um so naturally I think you know since that's the kind of music I gravitate towards that's a a lot of what comes out um, and I, there, there's like a, maybe an occasional sadder or like more somber song, but it's, it's, I don't know. I just don't like doing that anymore unless, you know, I don't know. Even if I'm like depressed about something, I still want to make like a happy song, like something that it, like is positive and cause that can, I don't know, just, uh makes me feel better and regardless of what you know emotional state i'm in uh 
So for pattern recognition, that was a song my brother had like the basic idea for that song. Um, and then we kind of fleshed out the instrumentals together and with the band. And then he felt like there needed to be something else like vocals maybe. So that was an instance where we had the song pretty much the instrumentals were written, but there were these spaces where we were like, well, there needs to be something here. So that was an instance where I was, fitting i was trying to come up with a lyric and vocal part for like an existing you know piece of instrumental music and i think the process for coming up with words a lot of times it's like mumbling mumbling like melody kind of like trying to get like a rhythm and a melody and sometimes through that you'll mumble out, you'll start to like mumble out a phrase or like a word or even, yeah, just like a fragment that can spark an idea. Like uh, it might've started out with tomorrow brings us another. That might've been like the first line that I came up with. And then the rest of it kind of just like, I was able to extrapolate from that. But yeah, that that's typically harder for me to do like fit a vocal into an existing like fully developed thing it, it usually works out better when it's being developed at, at the same time kind of like i don't know i feel like the best the the times it goes the, together the best are usually when it's like the words and like the core of the song are first like if if you can play it on an instrument and sing it at the same time kind of thing just like the most basic core of the song is there that's usually but yeah no i can understand that where it, it, it's hard to to fix a melody or words to a melody that are exist unless you're kind of fleshing it out because uh like um i'm not a terribly big fan of john mayer's music I, I definitely liked his continuum album and i really got into it when that came out uh i i, I do like his guitar playing and his general tone he has but I really like listening to him lately. I've been catching him on some podcasts uh, other than uh, sometimes cringing at how much he takes over the conversation. Uh, his little nuggets of the creative process I find so fascinating. Um, and he was on Rick Rubin's podcast, uh, I think it's Tetragrammaton. And he was talking about exactly what you were just saying about the process of how, trying to fit syllables, but then also syllables to what is your vocal uh, range and what you can actually right. sound, the tone of the sound, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting. It's like those little subtleties that kind of separate the garage bands from the more rounded professionals. Um, but going back to the beginning, like liking Death Cab at that period of life, it's I think definitely it probably speaks more to your age because I could think of being a young dude and constantly like, what? what are women? How do I? Yeah, that's so much heartbreak. So difficult. How does this happen? Yeah. Uh, and being, you know, a, a younger person versus growing out of that a little bit and being able to uh, understand yourself and grow a little bit more. Um, and, and in general, the content I think you take in, I think has such a an impact in it. And I think nowadays it's so difficult oh, yeah. because everything is just streamed to you, given to you, uh, and you can fall into these echo chambers. And, you know, these the algorithms can just feed you an echo chamber of what you have. And it's going to, you know, it's just uh, selecting for engagement. So if you end up liking a lot of things that are, you know, more of a certain vein, if it's 
negativity or just showing you a bunch of videos of people getting in hurt or things like that, you can fall, oh, yeah. quickly fall into you know a trap where that ends up affecting you. You don't even realize it, right? The same with the music, but now it's I think much yeah. bigger. Um, you know, oh, man, yeah. Something I noticed when I was younger was uh, I, I go through bouts of depression. It's kind of something I've I've had. I think a lot of people struggle with it. I've had that for a long time. And one of the things that I realized that was a really nice way to get out of it was forcing myself right when I wake up to go for a walk and listen to James Brown and how I just put on live at the sex machine. And I just listened to that album, you know, every day (laughs) for two months by the end of the, by the end of the second month, you know, know, 60 days later, all of a sudden I'm noticing more things. I'm smiling more. Um, and it can really, really shift your mood. Um, so it's it's amazing that you're intentional with the what you produce and put out there, because that's that's something I think the, the world needs more of. Um, and I, I would like to just bracket for like a little bit to go hardcore into to music. Um, so we might lose some people, but I'll chapter this. But we might lose sure. some people who are uh, not more in the musical realm, but that's okay. Uh, I want to ask you about starting off uh, with. So I'm a guitar player. I've been I've been playing guitar since I was very young. Um, how do you construct your solos and how do you think about that? Cause you know, for example, I've noticed, okay, so I, I did pick up on the fact you're using a Stratocaster on fire at the beach. Um, and did, did using a Stratocaster change the notes that you chose? And do you think of it intentionally? Like, oh, I'm, I'm playing, you know, a third here. I'm going to a fifth. I'm going to flat this. I'm going to go over to this area. I'm going to go up the neck. Or are you just closing your eyes, seeing what feels good? Um, or is it all written out? You know, are, are you Jimmy, you know, uh, what would that be? Kind of uh, the guitarist from Queen uh, writing it all out and just going into the studio and, and recording it? Or are oh, wow. you Frank Zappa and just seeing what comes? I would like to be able to think about it and, and like know where the ninth and the the third is at all times. But uh, I don't have that. I don't have the fretboard that internalized. So most of it is doing a lot of takes playing over it a lot recording a ton of takes and finding the licks that i like like the phrases that i like within that you know sometimes it'll it's it gets ridiculous sometimes that it's it'll be like 50 or 100 takes and i kind of just keep playing it until i find like oh i like this phrase here and then i you know save that chunk and kind of just go through the the amount of time that I have until I've got every part, um, you know, all the phrases that I like the most uh, figured out. And then I might try to go through and play it all in a take, like a continuous take, just because it for continuity. That's one way that I'll I'll do the solos. So, but there are a couple other ones like where. I'll do, you know, five takes and in those five takes, there will be, you know, enough or even maybe just a whole solid take that I, that I really like. But for a lot of like the fast technical, more technical stuff, it's like that has to, I have to kind of piece that together and then like learn that sequence of notes. I think like some of the fire on the beach stuff was like a pretty... It, it it came together pretty quickly. Like I didn't have to do a million takes. Like I was able to kind of just feel it out. But most of the time, it's 
it's a lot of takes and a lot of consideration on like what phrases to use. And then with uh, playing the Stratocaster, definitely like uh, impacted the notes I played and and the phrasing because it had a whammy bar, which I love, and I really like. I really want to get a guitar with a whammy whammy bar because what it does for me is it it creates more space in my solos because I'll hit a note and I'll let it ring so that I can bend it and um, kind of have it sing. And that kind of just naturally creates phrasing, like breaks in the, the string of notes because without it, it's easy for me to fall into just notes all the time, just too many notes. Um, I find like that's the that's the hardest part for me is trying to get it to not just be like a string of notes the whole time. And sometimes like singing along with the solo, it helps me kind of form more of like stronger melodic lines instead of just like um, noodling, I guess you could call it. But yeah, the, the Stratocaster definitely, definitely changed the way I played. Um, I didn't use it on fire on the beach though, because I didn't have it yet. But uh, for the rest of the album, there's a lot of, you could hear there's a lot of times where I, you know, have to stop picking so I can, you know, hit the whammy bar. Yeah. The, there's a quote that I thought was Stevie Wonder's, but it turns out he just took it from somebody else too, who I always forget, but it's uh, music isn't the notes, but the space between them. And that, uh, that was, that was something that took me a while. I mean, I still, I feel like I struggle with where it's like, Oh, I Same. just want to keep smashing things. Cause it's fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's not as much fun. There's, it's interesting between the person who's hitting the notes and the person listening to it. There's there's some kind of, kind of sometimes an uncanny valley, you know, to be able to play with. Um, and yeah, sorry for hitting on fire on the beach so much. I don't even know why I keep doing that. It's, it's too much of a groove. But oh, no, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, what I mean, well, one more thing before I ask the next question is, I definitely have noticed even in my own time playing, where when I switch in, you know switch guitars with somebody. Like my buddy had a PRS and I, I mean, I play a strat um, and giving him the strat and seeing what he would do with it. I'd almost be like, give it back to me. I want to try that. Like, give me that. I've never thought of that, you know, and yeah. what comes out of it is so interesting. Um, what is your, your guitar and music setup? Like what type of instruments do you like to, to use and, and play with? Um, I've been using a Gibson ES335 semi hollow body guitar for since I started pretty much and that's been the only one um so i use that in a fender fender twin reverb and then um fender jazz bass you know acoustic guitar but um yeah the es335 has been the the guitar for since 2007 oh wow and yeah probably I, the strat with the whammy bar will be the next one and then I I don't really have any I don't know if I'll have a desire for any more guitars. <laughs> I I have a problem with keyboards, so that's kind of where I there's just so many available that are like interesting to me. The problem is I I have a lot and I just I can't I have too many like I can't like use them all. What what are your go tos? Um. Uh, I get the the Prophet Six is 
like my main performance keyboard, and then the top keyboard is a Behringer DeepMind 6, but it used to be a Moog Little Fatty, which Ooh. is on the desk in front of me. But um, I wanted something smaller because we, for the traveling, like packing into the car, like the, the Moog case was massive. So I just wanted like a smaller keyboard that could more or less do the same thing. Then um, occasionally, like, well, for bass, the, the Moog Minotaur is amazing. That thing is really simple, but just always sounds good. And I have a uh, a virus. It's called a virus. Um, it's like a. It's been around for a long time, but it's like a a digital synth. But it's it's really good for like rhythmic, uh, very electronic, like trancey yeah. sounds. But um. Yeah, the the main ones are the Moog and the the Prophet. That's what I use the most for. Yeah, guitars you can you can make them a little more versatile with the pedals. You know what I mean? Pedals and amps, like that, the combination between that, you can just stretch out so much. Um, yeah, I used to uh, really want an ES or like a jazz box, um, something you know more hollow to kind of ring it out. I play a lot of, of jazz too, um, but lately the more I've been playing anything other than a Stratocaster. I don't know if it's something with my age now. I've just hit a precipice, but I just feel like a Strat has ruined me for every other guitar. <laughs> like even my acoustic, I get so annoyed because it's a like glued on neck, like, you know, like a violin, it's not a bolt on. And the fact mm-hmm. that it's so much harder for me to like grip the guitar with my thumb at the higher frets, I just get so, I'm so annoyed with it lately. I don't even know what it is, but. So it's like the playability that you like of the, the Strat? Uh, I mean, the action of a Strat, I can't get away from. I feel like it's so much faster. I hate any gloss on the neck. I, I've always hated oh, yeah. that, but it's just the older I get, the more that I'm just annoyed by it. Um, and uh, I, I do play with my thumb. So I like, you know, the Hendrix is the, he got me really into it. So like being able to mm-hmm. press down on the top or in the bottom two strings, like I really like being able to do that. It just opens up so much for me. Um, but I like the bolt on too. Cause I like being able to really rock the neck. Cause like, you know, you have the whammy bar where you can lift up the bridge, but you can also really rock the neck on a strat and not worry yeah. about anything. You know what I mean? And not worry right, about your yeah. action is going to get messed up. I like low action. Once again, uh, a strat's perfect for that. Um, and the single coil overwound, I just feel like has such a raw sound that I can, I can layer so much on top of, um, I do the next guitar I get's probably going to be a PRS though, where you have like, I don't remember what they're called, but you yeah. can have the humbucker or single coil flip. Yeah, that to me is just unreal. Split coil, yeah. Th- that was like it was that was the other guitar that I was trying to decide between when I was getting my guitars. The PRS. I didn't know anything about guitars. I was kind of just playing them all, and like those. I remember those felt really good to play. But the Strat is like, the tone is so much different than like the humbucker tone. It it handles a lot differently. But like once I, and at first I was like, oh, this sounds like so bright and tinny. But once I was able to kind of mess around more with the tone knob and like my overdrive pedals and stuff, it has like so much more clarity, especially when you have overdrive. Yes you can even like hit chords and it doesn't, you know, when I do that on my guitar, it's like very easily turns into just mush, but there's just so much definition with the single coil that I really like. It's so unforgiving though. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Any wrong note Definitely. or any, like, I just, you know, you scratch it too much or you're sliding your finger too much. If you're, you know, pumping up the, the electricity too much, you, you just like, you get that, you know what I mean? It picks up everything. Yeah, definitely. I, I was really, uh, yeah, like that, that, um, the bridge pickup is so sharp sounding, um, but I found that if I rolled, I was messing around with rolling the tone all the way down and, and using the uh, bridge pickup, like the really bright, thin one, and then putting overdrive on it, and it had a really cool tone to it. Yeah. I like dropping the, I like dropping the tone knobs to zero and then cranking the, over, like cranking distortion overdrive, yeah. giving a little reverb to it. You can really make it sound rough. I like that a lot. Yeah. But it's not, yeah, it'll, it'll be like, clear but not not like a shrill like with my guitar if i turn the tone knob all the way down it's it there's no it it loses all the definition but i feel like with the strat it still has clarity yeah which is another th- i like the ibanez for the same reason but you once you you do something similar to that all of a sudden you kind of get well you get a very metal sound to it which is also really fun um i like ibanez as well as well for that uh, I've been getting into like I don't know why I've been getting on this like really wild Steve Vai, uh, Joe Satriani bend. Like I've been just going real hard into them, and the nice. the more that I've been listening to it, the more I'm like, man, I just want to like get an Ibanez and just start doing some hammer-ons and like, you know, like finger tapping. Like this is this seems just seems wild. It's so it's such a different, I don't know, variation of a guitar. Yeah, I've never played one like that. Like a uh, are the pickups like really hot or something? Very. Is it? Yeah, very hot, very speedy. Like it's all of the action that I'm talking about on a Stratocaster, but it's more tailored for the, for speed playing. Um, like yeah. the like I have a so I have a Strat that my buddy rebuilt for me actually. So everything on the Stratocaster except for the wood uh, is brand new that he put on there. He like he custom it out for me, which is really awesome. Because once again, I, I until he did that, I didn't realize that how you even wire the electronics on it will affect the tone, the sound, like all of that. Uh, but anyways, I have a lock on the uh, pegs, like the tuning forks at the top. Yeah. But on Ibanez's, they'll have it on both ends of it. The bridge will have a lock and the, you know, the head of the guitar will have locks on the strings. So if you really whammy, that string is going to go right back into tune, right? You, you, you're going to cool. snap them more. You'll have to you'll end up with snapped uh, strings more often. But if it, doesn't break and you keep you know changing the strings out enough like you're gonna have tone once again you could really like raise up a high bend go back down and it's not gonna lose the the tone or any of that stuff um because like the saddle i think it's called saddle uh pickup or uh, saddle bridge where you have a little on the stratocaster you have like the two different screws that hold the string to, mm-hmm. you know string on there um, yeah you have to constantly be fiddling with those every you know few months um Otherwise, you know, the action is going to change or you're going to bend up and it'll lose the the ring or any of that kind of stuff where the more Ibanez's are real locked into place because it's, you know, it's essentially like uh, Eddie Van Halen or, you know, Joe Satriani type of sound. A lot of a lot of bending and whammying. Yeah, they're like they seem like uh, like sports cars. Yes. Like they just uh, handle really fast and well. I have a. Uh, my first guitar was a Schecter, which I didn't know at the time, but that a lot of metal players mm-hmm. play those, it seems like. Um, but that one's like, 
feels like that. It's just super easy to play. It's got 24 frets, so it's just like tons of room. Always stays in tune. Doesn't have any like blocking stuff, but just more than other guitars I played, it's it's always the setup is always good and intonation's always there. Yeah, it's very similar to what we're describing. I, I like to think in my head, I think of Stratocasters as like Ford F one fifties or Mustangs, where it's like you know what you're gonna get, you can beat the hell out of them, but there's such a, a culture of modding them out and really making it whatever it is your own and it's yeah. I don't know, I find it very fun. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what is what is your practice regimen like? Do you have one? Like, especially given the fact that you play multi instruments, like do you do you go in there? Do you uh, have exercises that you do, um, or is it more just based off of what you were describing earlier of, of kind of walking in with a, a canvas and seeing what comes out? Yeah, I definitely don't have a regimen. Um, the, I get most of my practice from recording. So whenever I'm working on a song and I need to do guitar parts, <clears throat> that's where I get all my, my you know mechanical practice in because I end up playing for several hours and, you know, playing until my fingers are raw and, like, hands hurt. And um, that's really, like... And that that's also how I practice any of the other instruments you know if i have to do i want drums or bass on a song so i'll play that until you know i'm able to play the thing that i want to be in the song um yeah pretty much just like recording i, I feel like that's been such a good way for me to practice because it's it's very engaging and um you know i can spend a long time doing it and be having fun with it but it doesn't so much help like the conceptual stuff, which, you know, I've gone through spurts of trying to become more like, what's the word, like fluent in like music theory and stuff. But uh, that takes that that would take a regimen, I think, to really internalize all that information and be able to use it in a meaningful way and not have to like you know i i have i would have to sit there and think think about like uh you know like what is in this thing i don't know it just like it has to be internalized i feel like to be able to use it in like a uh like a live playing situation where it's like oh we're switching to this key or like you know what what is different about what are the different notes and stuff and I, I just never got to the point where I have all that information on tap and I can, you know, instantly know what all the right notes are and what all the wrong notes are. Yeah. That's which is totally all right. I mean, you got this far, but uh also some of the the grades tend to try to throw that out. Um and then you know, you're talking about the indie music scene of of snobbery. There's so much snobbery around music theory and uh oh, yeah. and knowing it and all of that kind of stuff. Um do you use any of that though? Like, do you use the circle of fifths or any type of, you know, chord arrangements or, you know, phrases when you're writing a song or is it really just playing around, seeing grooving, you know, I've, I mean, obviously you have an understanding of, you know, uh, the keys in a fretboard, right? Like, you, you know, from playing so long, you know, what kind of fits in where and, and how to play with the, uh, the minors to bring it down or, you know, you know, bring it back yeah. up with some majors and, like, do, do you think yeah. of it more in that way of like 
the tone and, and knowing where it is on a fretboard or do you have some kind of understanding of, uh, oh, I want to you know hit this segment of, of the key and then I want to go to this one and I want to bring it down this way. How do you go about that? I'll use it sometimes in situations of, yeah, like uh, complementary keys, um, resolving a chord progression, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, the, the two, five, one chord progression, you know, it's just like a very good way to get back to the one chord or even just going to the five chord is, it's a very good way to get back to the one chord. Um, I don't know, like stuff like that. Sometimes it can help to, if I'm trying to like get from one, if I have a long chord progression, I'm trying to get to another key or another, or just get back to the, the beginning of the chord progression. Um, I feel like on a keyboard, it's like a lot easier for me to visualize and like play around with chords and different keys and stuff. But a lot of it is, is just by ear and like, I might hear something cool in a song that I really like, and then I'll kind of reverse engineer that. Like what just happened? What was that key change? Um, because that sounded really cool and then find out a way to like use that kind of just on a, it's not like a holistic understanding, but it's like, I understand this one move and then find a way to use that at some point and maybe understand some other move. Like I was listening to the Lion King, uh, circle of life song. And there's like this key change or chord change in there that, I was like really, really liked and didn't understand what was happening. So that was an instance where I was, I was like, what is that interval? Like what is going on there? I figured out what it was and then I ended up using it in a song uh, shortly after. What was the song? Uh, it's a song called um, uh, Here to Stay. It's a... Uh, it's on the EP Sink or Swim. And yeah, there's there's like a definitely rip, ripped the uh, Elton John Lion King special chord change for that song. That's amazing. I'm going to listen to that after we uh we get off. That's that's awesome. Uh where where what are your influences, you know, musically or otherwise that you're drawing some inspiration from like, you know, I guess starting with what, what is it kind of the things that you listen to a lot like what's your uh mix cds lately yeah i get i get inspiration for different things from different artists so like there are certain artists that i really get a lot of inspiration from their production and like their compositions and the way they put things together like tame impala currents that album and i think slow rush is the next one but like the way those songs are put together and and mixed and everything, just the aesthetic is really inspiring. Like Tycho, the way he, he puts his music together and the sounds and just like the aesthetic of it all is is definitely very inspiring for me. Krongbin, hmm. they have their own aesthetic too. These are all bands that have like a very distinct sound. Like when you put it on, you know what you're gonna get. It's gonna they have this very distinct aesthetic, and that's that's what it is. 
And um, I like all those. And then there's, you know, uh, Ween, which is another one of my big influences. And they have, they're a band that just bounces around. Every song is like a, they embody like a different style. And, but they do a really good, good job with it. And that, that's a, been a big influence in terms of feeling okay to not uh, be confined into a genre, like to feel okay making music of any style. Um, that was a big influence and in just making me feel like that was okay to do. Um, and so Ween's a big influence. My Morning Jacket, um, just his songwriting and vocals are you know some of my favorites so that's that's a huge influence um and then for like electronic music uh and like music production type of influences there's uh there's this producer named oliver and he's got this album called full circle and it's it's like my bar for electronic music production um, and it's, you know, they're, they're songs too. Um, but just the production is so tight and like loud and clean. Like, I don't know how that's like the thing I'm trying, I'm trying to like, that's what I'm referencing. Like how close can I get to that level? Cause that's my, you know, that's like the best sounding stuff to me. And then there's another album called pleasure center by this group called Crack and Smack with a K, K-R-A-A-K, Pleasure Center. And um, that one's like another one of those kind of bar setters for me. It's got like a vintage vibe to it, but it's very also modern at the same time. It's like electronic, but organic sounding. And, you know, I like the songs on it. I mean, those two albums have been kind of on uh, i've been playing those a lot uh, recently and then like for live shows that's another set of influences you know bands like lotus and papadozio and lettuce and so many other bands in that that jam scene are put on such an amazing show and they're so amazing at their instruments that's like another level like another area of inspiration that's kind of separate, I don't know, they kind of all have influences in separate areas. And then, you know, Wolfpack, they've, they're, they've been a huge <clears throat> inspiration, like, with their music, but also with their, you know, career arc and, like, the way that they do things. So very different and refreshing to see a band get really successful on a different path than doing, like, 10 years of, like, 150 shows a year, you know, you know, before you start to get that, like they found out another way to do it. I mean, Daft Punk for sure. Air. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I probably, that probably covers, covers most of it. I, I guess, I guess there's like some surf stuff that's kind of creeps into a lot of playing like, 60s surf like the the ventures i was really into the ventures and um arthur lyman like exotica vibraphone stuff went through a phase where i was just going to the 
record store and get like getting records off the dollar out of the dollar bin just based on like just looking at the most random kind of instrumental albums like dulcimer album or just i don't know that would be like a meditation music type of i would put on some random record looking for like sampling stuff like stuff i could sample pretty much but ended up liking just like listening to a lot of it and liking it i think that's it though that's that's it that's a huge spectrum like you i can see why your music is so varied <laughs> it's that's a, an amazing spectrum uh yeah, Papa Docio and Lotus. I mean, Docio is so their their performances live are amazing. Like the way they can play off of each other is is unreal. And I love Wolfpack. I think Wolfpack is is both like you said, both from how they make their music of how they record it all the way through the yeah. you know live performances. iPhone, just the low tech home recording, you know, phone camera. But it just proves that you don't need a lot. You just need good ideas and good you know, playing and it's great. Yeah. For, for them in particular, like the pocket between them, like how they each yeah. find the groove is so unbelievable to me. Like I've been, I've been uh, listening to three on E like on repeat mm-hmm. a lot lately. Cause I list, I watched the YouTube video of it and I, I love how, you know, Jack has the, the process of we're going to, we're going to take it all in one take. We'll, we'll mix anything afterwards, you know, any effects we want to put on it, changing the levels, we'll do it later. We're going to have a camera going through the shot of us recording it. And there's a part in it where it's just uh, Theo and Corey playing pretty much. And then all of a sudden, you know, the bassist, uh, Joe Dark, comes in and starts speeding it up. And then Jack starts speeding it up too. And you could just see how they all caught a groove together. It's just like catching a wave and everyone's, you know, party wave surfing. And it's it's unreal how they can catch those different pockets and expand off of it they're they're really impeccable yeah super super good and i don't think they i, I really like uh, i was go i went through a phase where i was just listening to podcasts with whatever members did podcast you know whatever mem- members i could find and their yeah their approach is just like so appealing because they it's like a Corey wong was talking about you know wolfpack is like a 30 day a year commitment yeah like that's their like uh in terms of shows recording it's like they somehow just have it so efficient that 30 days is is what they're committed to and it's like seems very sustainable and it's also working very well obviously you have to have like a group of really really talented people to do that but i was like this just sounds like way better than you know burning yourself out which is, I mean, I heard Jack talk about that. Like, that's what he doesn't want to do. You know, ruin the band by burning themselves out on the road or something. Yeah. How, I mean, playing off that a little bit, when you're mixing music or you're uh, playing with, you know, with the band, or how do you think about the different pockets? You know, so, so like, you know, to try to make it a little more layman, like pocket in, in music is, finding your space within the rest of the instruments with the, within the rest of the sounds and being able to really fill it in. Right. So like, I, I think something that like two things that make me cringe as a guitarist is when I hear somebody solo for so long, it just, it just feels like you're, uh, I don't know, uh, showing off or something. I, I have a much cruder way that I think about it that I won't say out loud. Uh, and then, uh, I think I know. the other, you know, the other side of it I is, can you know, a lot of times when you have two guitars on stage, it's, it's like, I was at a show last weekend and 
I kept thinking, you guys got to play with each other, not against each other. Um, yeah. You know, so how do you construct that? Is you know either from your own self and, and once again, I'm going to keep playing with this because you know I think it's interesting that you you ha- you get to construct music by yourself where it's yourself playing with you, you know, over with and over yourself. But how do you think about you know layering and and finding that that groove? Is it even a conscious thought? Yeah, no, it definitely is. There's, it's definitely something that I put a lot of thought into in terms of how the drums, the bass, just how everything is like working with and like around each other. So, I mean, like, I feel like the more I make the, the better or like the more cognizant I am of, of not having things constantly playing. So trying to make like parts that have space in them has been like my new like uh, thing that I try to focus on. So a lot of times I'll record a part and then I'll start to like cut stuff out of that part and be like, oh, well, what if like the chord only hit every, you know, four beats instead of every one beat or something or like... um I don't know, but a lot of times, like, a rhythm guitar will be hitting, be try, you know, I'll, I'll try to be hitting, like, in between when the drums, like, in between when the drums and the bass are going or something. Either that or, I mean, just making, like, complementary parts, I guess, where they're either playing in unison and harmonizing or they're playing, like, differing things that are filling gaps within each other so and definitely like with the bass and drums I try to either do the same thing they're either locked in together to kick in the the bass or the bass is hitting all around the kick and not on the kick and they so they only have their own space um but I mean in our live band our full band four person thing a lot of times we'll do we'll do a lot of like harmonized guitar melodies and um so if one of us writes a guitar melody a lot of times we'll end up both playing it either in unison or harmonizing and then um i don't know a lot of times whoever comes up with the idea like for stuck in between my brother nick came up with the guitar parts for like the main like the the main riff i guess so he kind of put those together and whenever i make an idea i'll sometimes write you know the complimentary guitar parts uh same thing with when our other guitar player writes um yeah i don't know i guess like if we're trying to write all together when we're jamming it's at least from my perspective, I'm trying to hear what the other guitar player is doing and then find where the space is in that uh, and play around that. So, you know, if it's a melody that plays a couple notes and then it rings out for a little bit, I'll maybe not play anything when he's doing the melody. And then when he's done playing the melody, do like a do something else there. Kind of fill the uh, fill the gaps. Yeah. Listening, I think, is the the key takeaway there. I think Grizz Grizz said one. I, I saw like a uh, 
You know Grizz? Of course, yeah. I saw him at Red Rocks, actually. Oh, was it fun? Oh, it was unreal. Yeah, it was a two-day thing. Like, the first night was uh, live band, and the second night was, like, him and, uh, what's his, with the bear? What's his uh, guitarist? Muzzy Bear? Yeah, yeah, it was him and uh, that. And then we also went to an afters uh, with that. So it was, like, a three-performance thing, and honestly, it was so unbelievably inspiring. And also, it just blew me away, because you had the live band night, one feel, you know, uh, kind of more like a docio set of uh, experience where it's just a lot of lights and, you know, like the production was a certain way. And then the second night where it's, you know, him and Muggsy, it was, it was very high production, something more like you'd get with an EDM set where, you know, the visuals yeah. are going. Uh, I think there was even a point where he just came out of the middle with the piano, like a live piano, like just, just totally brought the intensity up. And then seeing him in the afters was like a dark vibe, like a dark EDM vibe. Um, and wow. just how the the spectrum of how prolific he was, which this is when I first started getting into EDM music. So it just completely blew me away of how That's somebody awesome. could have such a difference, uh, you know, in his, I guess, repertoire. Because, I mean, he's a sax player, but clearly can do a whole yeah. lot more. I'll have to check out that live band set. I've never, I, I, I'd like seen it on festival bills and stuff, but I'd never, I've never heard it. I'm curious what that, what that's like. But he had like a uh, production tips, you know, Instagram or TikTok or something. And he's like, he was talking about making a groove. And he's like, it's all about the stuff in between the stuff. It's like, always thought about that. Like, it definitely is. There's always a lot of stuff in between all the other stuff with his, with his uh, beats. The space between the notes. Yes. Yeah, just finding. Yeah, and I I remember. Uh... Yeah, never mind. <laughs> okay. You look like you're you're close to something though. I think I was just talking about like I I mess around that with that concept on the drum set. I've been messing around more with that like. Instead of having, you know, hi hat going every beat not playing the hi-hat when the kick or the snare's hitting, like making beats where only one drum is hitting at a time. So that has like the full space. Um, and that, that's, that was like the fire on the beach main groove was one of those where I was like, it's only kick snare hi-hat happening. I'm not, not doing them at the same time ever. I was like messing around with that. And it definitely does groove more when it's, you know, there's, things just filling filling gaps and not covering other things up yeah there's a drummer i just started getting into um i don't know i have maybe it's part of my addictive personality but i get into things and i get really into them uh but i i fell into him and i've been pretty uh into it lately it's nate smith have you ever heard of him oh yeah yeah and his album pocket change i've listened to that album probably like four or five times in the past three days never listened to any of his i've only just heard the fearless fearless flyer stuff yeah 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 uh well his the pocket change is just him it's just him on the drums and it's exactly it's exactly Uh what you're talking about it's i i was completely thrown when i first listened to it a few days ago of uh how much he's changing up the beat with the different things but highlighting it like he'll just be tapping the the hi-hat at a certain you know uh tempo and then all of a sudden have that tempo but now switching to the snare and he's doing something else with you know what i mean it's just constantly shuffling it around and 
talk about completely turning things on their head where you have an album that's just, I think there's a bass sometimes in there, but it's pretty much just him on the drums the whole time. And it's, it's, it's captivating, you know, which you wouldn't think. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I've never, never heard just a drum set album. That's crazy. Yeah. It's not just like a drum solo. You know what I mean? Where most drum solos are kind of cringe. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's definitely a good way and a, bad way man i'm not a bad way just yeah I, I know what you mean yeah i'm super snobby when it comes to certain things i'm, I'm a bit self-aware of that uh how do you think about time in music and i guess in in life too because a lot of your songs also in the lyrics reference time and, and things changing and you know uh yeah. like in cosmic favor you, you talk about you know how you know it favors the young at heart and you, you talk a lot about it. and that that whole album you talk a lot about time and all yeah, of that a lot of time yeah uh how do i think about time do you even think about it because the way i'm asking because like you know in music music is just time it's just tones and time that's really all it is and really think like the way i think about oh yeah the way i think about life is just that too you know there's there's moments and the moments have color and the the emotion and the motion is essentially the 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 tempo or the, the tone um and you flow through it and it changes or like what you were saying earlier, you know, death cat for cutie is a, a young man constantly getting your heart broken. Cause you don't really understand what to do with life or love. Uh, is that something that you're, you're conscious of, or is that just something that once again, through your, your mindfulness practices tends to just blossom? I think something I thought about a lot was how much different time can feel in terms of, your perception of it you know if i'm looking at my phone scrolling or just browsing the internet you know like two hours can go by and it feels like 30 minutes but if i'm you know trying to meditate and just like sit still and not like engage any thoughts you know 15 minutes feels like really really long or if i'm suffering in any way like time just slows down and i think you know i'm aware of the like the acceleration of of time as i get older and how it's just you know keeps just going by faster and you know every year is a smaller you know proportion of my total life so it's just smaller and smaller uh I don't know, just keeps going by faster. So I, I think I was interested in what can I do to slow it down? And there are things that you can do to make time go by slower or faster. You know, if I'm in the airport and I'm stuck at the airport or something, you know, I want time to go faster. So there's things I can do to speed it up. But, you know, if I want it to go slower, yeah, like things like meditation, journaling exercise uh and and just not engaging with you know technology you definitely can can slow things down just paying attention to the the time what day it is it's easy for me to forget about that stuff yeah especially with how many distractions we have uh einstein he wrote these uh essays uh like i think they just would submit them like people would submit questions to him in a newspaper i think it was like the last couple years of his life um and one of the questions was, 
can you explain relativity to essentially to like a fifth grader? I think, I don't think it was what it was, but it was essentially like that. Um, and his answer was, uh, if you put your hand on a hot stove, that's instant will feel like an eternity. If you're sitting with a, a partner that you're enjoying their company, that hour or, you know, hour or two feels like an instant. He goes, that's relativity. Um, yeah. All right. That's it. That's what I've been thinking about. Yeah, exactly. You're spot on. Yeah. Look at that. You're uh, Einsteinian and your uh, groove that you're catching. Um, you know, what's it like living in Pittsburgh and making music versus, so like you, I, I, just judging by when you went to college, you're pretty much the same age as me. So we're both, you know, millennials. And when we were younger, you know, and everyone was just like, you got to move to LA. You want to do music, you got to move to LA. Yeah. Or like, you know, what I heard a lot right. was, um, you got to move to, you know, Nashville. Right, like move to, you want to be a studio guitarist. Mm-hmm. Like everyone, all my guitar teachers, uh, and or it was only one guitar teacher, but all of his friends, he used to do that kind of stuff. He was like, "You want to be a studio guitarist?" He's like, "Go to Nashville." He's like, "Go do a bunch of cut a bunch of country records. You'll get known for that. Then you'll picked up get picked up in L.A. You know, you can make your way that way." Um, but it was always mm-hmm. you got to go somewhere, you got to do it. And the other thing too that was totally discouraged when we were younger was doing the end to end production yourself. It was always right. like, no, you got to get someone to mix it. You got to get a sound engineer to that knows, you know, pr- uh, logic or something like that. That'll do all that for you. Just focus on your instrument. So how, how did you cut your teeth and how is it not being in the belly of the beast, you know, being in Pittsburgh, which isn't necessarily even known as a music city? Um, how has that kind of influence shaped or, or, you know, been able to find your own way? Um. Yeah, I guess it's hard to say how it I I've never really like lived or experienced another city to know what the difference is, but I would imagine there's probably, you know, there's a lot more people doing the same thing as you. You could probably maybe easily meet other people who you could work with. Um but I mean doing the I, yeah, like the ability to home record and kind of the explosion of the internet really just kind of changed everything for someone who wants to be a producer or um i guess even in an artist um because uh, you know you have worldwide reach everybody does i feel like there's certain positions where it you do need to you would benefit, you know, if you're if you're trying to get into like pop songwriting or something, moving to Nashville or, or L.A. Where there's more people that are doing that, that you could get involved with. Um, or, or, yeah, like session playing. Um, but I mean, just just like writing and recording music, it didn't seem like it really mattered where I was. Like if I was doing the same thing in L.A., I don't. I don't know if it would have made that much of a difference. Maybe the performing. I don't know. Cause like even, even still like you're, if you're really getting into performing, you're, you're going to be going to other cities um, outside of your hometown. At least that's like the kind of the goal, I guess, is to branch out and not just be local, but branch out into the region. So it really didn't matter if I was living in Pittsburgh or, Cleveland or Washington DC or something. I don't know. It's really hard to say. Um, I'm sure 
things would have been a lot different, but I'm not sure how. And I definitely don't feel like it's been a hindrance or like it's like I've been held back by because I live here. I definitely don't feel like that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, sometimes I think about if I was uh, in Denver, that might be that seems like a pretty fertile music scene, but there's there's not a lot around Denver. Like it's not easy to your Colorado is kind of its own bubble. Um, honestly, Pittsburgh's great because there's a lot of good Midwestern music towns. There's a lot of towns within like a kind of a a reasonable distance. So, but I mean, my main thing for the longest time was just recording and releasing the music, and the internet gave me the ability to you know do that and share that and it really didn't matter where it was being made um yeah i don't know it's interesting definitely doesn't feel like a whole like it held me back or anything it's interesting because we're we're kind of the age that it's the phase shift right like the people when you were starting to get uh into music the people who were really popular were still the hangovers of in a certain region getting into the record, uh, you know, uh, label machine getting pumped right. out that way where now it's like, like for folks who were in their early twenties, who might be getting started on the track. They wouldn't even think about it any other way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like the internet is able to, to bring you that. Um, it, it's interesting to me cause that was, it's almost like, you know, as time changes, as things get, uh, to, the world gets different, I suppose. Um, the the world that was before just gets it's harder even to, to imagine. And I think in a lot of ways, okay. So like what we were just saying, second album syndrome, right? First album's amazing. Uh, second album they can't they can't seem to be able to hit it again. Um, and what I always found interesting from that was once again uh, my guitar teacher growing up. Um, he had friends who uh, were signed to record deals and things like that. And what he said to me was the reason for that was they got moved to LA. He goes, oh yeah, they moved to LA. Now they're in a culture of, of LA and they're getting wrapped up into meetings and people offering them whatever drugs they want. And they completely get into this vibe that's different than when they were before. You know, that before they were struggling, they were just, they were on the road in a van that was breaking down all the time. You know, they had a way of getting there, but once you're kind of in a completely different environment, you know, it, it, it takes away. And and one of the things that I'm, I was thinking about as you were saying this is, I wonder if being away in, well, not really away, but being in your own way in Pittsburgh was able to insulate yourself enough from, you know, the influences because the the cultures are different, you know, wherever you are, um, either if it's yeah. opportunities or or vices or even just what other people are trying to achieve, you know. Yeah, and there's probably some insulating factor to that. I don't know. Yeah, it's a the the internet has created so many different ways to succeed as a creative that it's just the the idea that you have to live somewhere is just totally kind of gone unless you want a, a pretty specific type of job. like you want to get into the TV industry or some you know or like session playing or something, but even like, yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that. Like it, it, if you have a really successful album, you're on a label and it explodes and yeah, you kind of 
your life changes away from where you were getting your inspiration from before. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That would that would be hard too. There's probably a lot of pressure that you feel to create another, you know, maybe you had been these were the 10 best songs you've been collecting for years and now you have another, you know, year or two to top that and you have to kind of pull it out of somewhere. Which is it's nice. Like I'm glad I don't have to deal with that kind of pressure of uh, expectations. Cause that would that would be that would be difficult to uh, deal with. Yeah, totally. Uh, how how do you stay motivated? So you know you like what we're just talking about here. You know it's it's you in your home studio, and you're doing. I'm assuming you're also doing the production and mixing of it. Um, well, okay, so which you are. So how do you stay motivated? Because that is, you know, from making the music and you know it's it's a blank canvas to okay well now i have to change and i have to just hammer out this solo a hundred times until i find a groove or you know set of phrasing that i like to be able to now go in there and hit it just you know splicing it all together and the, i'm sure you know the maddening process of zooming into wave files clipping little set parts of it out making sure they line up just right like how do you stay yeah. motivated through all of that the uh satisfaction and fulfillment and joy i get out of out of that, you know, when you have a finished song and you really, you know, like the way it sounds, that's uh, enough to, you know, that's why I do it. And that just keeps me, you know, that makes me want to do it is to, to get get something that I really like or maybe something that's new, kind of um, create something that I'm really into that's just uh such a good feeling that that's you know that's all the motivation that's needed i mean it's it's sometimes hard to stay organized <clears throat> or to stay structured i guess um especially as like we've been kind of trying to grow chalk dinosaur performance wise and and traveling and like trying to stay on top of all the social media and stuff there's so many different things that need attending um sometimes it's hard to keep that all organized but the actual process of of making the music music itself is is like the definitely the easiest and best part of it yeah, that, that's pretty beautiful to hear, honestly, because that just means you're doing something you really enjoy and you, you found your way, so to speak. Trying, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess there's there's always like, we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, I'm trying to get to a point still where Chalk Dinosaur is, you know, the breadwinner, which it, it has never been. But, you know, we're getting closer, but it definitely... There's a lot more complexity now to it. Um, so it's even, it's it's getting harder to, you know, have the large pockets of time to really like tunnel vision on a, a recording. So sometimes that has to be a little more thought out beforehand, like when, when do uh, kind of schedule that 
Yeah. Well, okay. Well, last question. Is there anything... Oh, and best of luck to you with scaling. Um, Thank you. But is there anything in the next coming months that you're particularly looking forward to? I, it sounds like you're you're making an album and I know you're playing Secret Dreams and a, a couple other places. Yeah, the... Uh... Our next three shows, Johnstown, uh, Flood City Music Festival, that'll be like the full band. Looking forward to that. Secret Dreams is probably going to be the biggest one. I mean, Summer Camp will be have been the biggest, but Secret Dreams looks amazing. Like the, the lineup's incredible. And I'm looking forward to that. We're, our cousin's going to be playing that with us. Oh, that's cool. It's going to be me and... My brother Nick, we're doing like our duo set, but we're gonna have our cousin, who's like really good uh, percussionist. He's gonna, we're gonna fly him here, and um, he's gonna play. We have two back-to-back shows, the Secret Dreams weekend, so he's gonna play those two shows with us, which we're really excited about because he's, he's just like a, has so much energy, and he's just like a magnetic person and um really skilled and i've i've heard him he's got a very good connection with my brother nick the drummer so i'm i'm just excited to see what that adds to the set um so yeah that's the that's the main thing right now just taking it one show at a time just trying to make sure we're ready and have a good set planned out and um yeah i don't know I'm looking forward to writing more music because we we've been playing the playing the sh- a lot of shows this year, um, and we have we're you know we have our repertoire down pretty well now. But I'm I'm excited to start working on the next thing. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to it, and uh, we can pause the recording in a second. But thank you again very much for for joining and you know expressing all that you've done with how you got here, your, your process and, and meandering through all these questions of mine. Uh, is there anything you want to say before we, we pause it? Um, thank you for, thank you for having me. It was, it was fun talking about all the stuff that you <laughs> asked about. That was, you had a lot of very interesting questions and things to talk about. Um, yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think there's, anything i have to say if you're you know interested in music you should start recording yourself that's that's what i think yeah no i uh i've been planning to for a long time my i grew up without any money and to graduate and or to to think about leaving high school and going into music knowing that it's going to be a vow of poverty for a while i just couldn't allow myself to do it so i went to college and my my trajectory has always been business and then i'll uh get to a point of making music and i'm actually talking to you from a studio desk that my wife got me and i'm setting it up nice. and getting my flow of being able to do that so it's coming around which, the which desk is it do you know what uh desk it is it's from like, etsy it? it's like a custom build but it's, i got like a drawer with my mpk down below me i got my nice. uh multi-effect pedal i got my boss uh rc505 um i like using bitwig a few years ago i uh interesting i uh yeah i have like a I'm very methodical. Um, I'm very like right-brained in the sense of I'm so, my my brain is absolute fucking chaos. Uh, so I do all these things to constrain myself. Um, and one of them is uh, I force myself to learn a new skill every year. 
And the way that I force myself is I have to at least spend 10 minutes a day doing that. Um, nice. And cool. I think it was 2019, I did Ableton. And I was like, I'm going to learn Ableton. You know, I'm going to force myself to learn this and, and really focus in on it. Um, and I'm a, I'm, I do tech for a living, so I'm huge into software. Um, and I, re- I realized that I was getting frustrated with how the Ableton versions were so expensive, but nothing changed. Um, and then I found out the people that used to work at Ableton left and created Bitwig. Um, oh, so now I've been, okay. uh, messing with that. And that's what I'm, that's what this slow build of this setup here is, uh, going to be getting to is to allow myself to kind of be able to flip a switch, uh, and spend a few minutes and have, I think of it like friction, like zero friction to be able to just, you know, pick up my strat next yeah. to me and, you know, hammer yeah, out a, a way to put it go. Yeah. Yeah. So Bitwig's like, that's a good one. If you're like a technically inclined person that likes to get under the hood type of thing. It's able, it's essentially Ableton. So live looping, um, anything that you want to do with that kind of stuff. Uh, Bitwig is in my personal opinion, it's a more confusing interface when you first see it. Um, Mm -hmm. but way, it makes way more sense once you start. And it's also way more customizable to be able to say like, I want these phrases here. I want this here. Um, okay cool yeah i like it a lot more um especially because i like doing i want to layer you know what i mean like the way that i the way that i think about it is i want to do the drums i want to come up with the bass line maybe i want to do a you know like a three phrase um a three chord phrase on the keys real quick and then i want to come in with the guitar and i want to really like light it up um so being able to do that on there is is easier um nice yeah i'm forcing myself to learn this bought or this art the 505 my wife bought it because she does vocals um she bought it for herself and uh i've been forcing myself to try to learn anything yeah i think uh yeah recording's just endless entertainment and um i always urge people to release what they record and and not get into the uh too perfectionistic mindset where you can't make the decision. You just can't finish something because it's just never good enough. And instead, just finish it and start a new one and finish that one. And even if they're not perfect, like don't try to make the perfect thing. And then after you make like fifty of them, they'll be like you'll be way better. Yeah. At putting stuff together. Yeah. I uh, have you ever heard of the Book of Five Rings? No, it's uh, the the guy who wrote it. It's like an ancient book. Like I think it's like from like the 1400s. It's some samurai who you know killed a ridiculous amount of men in single combat, and it's kind of like the art of war. But it's it's uh the samurai who wrote it, as opposed to uh, Sun Tzu. Um, but he has this phrase in it that I think about all the time, which is, um, it's very Taoist, but it's once you know the way broadly, you'll see it in all things. Um, and it's something that I think about a lot. Uh. Cause like what I do all day is I run software teams and we build, you know, pretty hard shit in a short period of time. It's never enough time. It's never enough answers. Um, you know, and one of the things in there, the tenets of that is, you know, uh, iterate. So start somewhere, keep driving value, like keep what you're doing is actually building something that is making sense and, and useful, um, and put it out there as fast as you can and see how people react to it. Um, and I think like that, changed my writing so much like I went in college I took a lot of creative writing classes 
And that was one of the things of, of constraining myself to be able to put this in front of the class and get it critiqued was always so hard. Or, or like I wrote for my, my paper, school paper, same thing. Like it was just always so hard getting to that point. Um, and through software development, which is such a goofy way, uh, I've realized like, no, just, just put it out there, like get it out there. And I, it's something I still struggle with though. Cause there's an, like I do audio essays for this podcast and there's an audio essay that I've written man, I want to tell you probably 20 times. It sounds, it sounds outrageous, but I think I've written it 20 times. Um, like I studied abroad in Taipei, Taiwan, and I want to write, I want to write something that's an, an American in Taipei, kind of like an American Paris, but an American in Taipei. And I want to use it to, as a, as a uh, metaphor for understanding this relationship with Taiwan and China and this is ever increasing, you know, risk of war essentially um, where most Americans just kind of subscribe as China bad you know, uh, and they don't really understand Taiwan or any of that. So I kind of want to layer that in there. And it's something so personal to me, you know, because like yeah. you know, Taiwan is almost like a, my, my second country. You know what I mean? Like I have such a fondness for it and such growth that happened there that I just haven't been able to put it out there. Um, but yeah, I, I should. Well, I think there's like, you know, if you feel, I mean, that that happens sometimes for me where if I feel like there's an idea or something that is really important to me, or is extra valuable or good or something, you know, I'll, I'll try to not rush it in that case. If I really sense that there's a lot there and try to make sure that, you know, I give the idea I'm, I'm doing it the best I can type of thing, but yeah, it's, I definitely understand that as long as, yeah, as long as eventually it gets done and you share it, you know, you'll probably be happy that you got it the way you wanted it. Yeah, maybe that'll. Th- this will be the, the kick in the ass I need. Maybe I'll just uh, put it out after this one, and uh, now I'll have to do it then. You have to like, I don't know. What do you do? Like, I feel like whenever I'm trying to figure out if something's done, I I listen to it and try to just like pay attention if there's any parts that like bother me. Like uh, that I'm uncomfortable with, and then if I can get through it and you know get it to a point where no no part of this bothers me, like makes me cringe or like, then it's it's ready. I'm always bothered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's. I always find. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I am an incredibly competitive person, but I have, I tend to not get that competitive with other people unless we're playing sports. Um, And even still, I internalize it. Like, I don't, I don't, like, if I'm playing basketball and and, I I fuck something up, I don't ever, you know, externalize it onto the other person. It's always deeply critical of myself, um, which is kind of a double edged sword. But what I tend to do is, you know, I try not to focus on it being me. And focus more on the content, and if it if it right. elicits an emotional response, and I get the reaction of I did that, that's me, you know, like because I I feel like ideas, I don't feel like ideas are mine, like they just come from somewhere, and a lot of mm-hmm. times I get these ideas that are fully fledged, and I don't, it doesn't seem like me, you know what I mean? It's, it seems more like I'm channeling it. So if I can get the sense that I'm listening to it or I'm reading it. And I'm getting an emotional response and I'm surprised like, oh shit, this is me. Then I'm like, okay, all right. 
maybe I could put the criticism away for a little bit. Um, yeah. Is it, do I feel like this will do the same thing for other people? Um, and then if I think so, then I usually just, that's been my litmus test lately is, is okay. I get to that point now. All right, I'll ship it. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like whenever I have an idea like that, that's like, um, have to try extra hard not to, not to, uh, I guess not to mess it up or, or like not to, um, suffocate it, I guess not to get in the way. Do you ever have something like this, like an essay that you keep rehashing over and over again? Do you ever feel like you start to regress or like you start to like older versions better? Sometimes, but usually if I keep editing something over and over and over again, um, I put it on a shelf and then I wait a few weeks, months, and then I start all the way over again. And when I start over again, I don't read the last one. I'll read it again later, but I want to, I want to start all the way over again. Um, Interesting. And cause I, I do think like, man, I've gone th- like this one of this, this Taipei one in particular, I've gone through so many different iterations. Like one of them, um, was I don't for lack of a better word very broy, like it's very like I, I centered it around my adventures there, but not so much from the cultural aspect of it, uh, more from like the partying, and you know I I went back and and as I was writing it, I was like I don't like this, um, and then you know because I did party a lot when I was out there, I totally did, but I also went to a lot of temples. I, you know, I, I learned how to meditate in a naked hot spring from a dude who spoke no English, which was a, a wild experience. You know, I played a fantastic amount of guitar. Like I bought a guitar, like the, literally the third day I was there, I bought an acoustic guitar and I played that for hours every day. Like, um, you know, I, I, I just went around the whole, the whole island. I, you know, I experienced like pretty much all regions of the island to the point where people who lived there and were from there would be like, what you went to you went to really like what that's just no one goes there you know uh so i i, w- I was thinking i don't really want to highlight this like the, the tone of this is totally off um yeah so i completely walked away from it um I- i'm also you know working i'm chipping away at um like an ebook of of how to how to do conversations how to be a conversationalist because i feel like if i had a talent that is truly of my own. It's the fact that I can usually hold a conversation with anyone wherever I am anytime. Um, and that one, I'm going a different way about it in which I have an outline. I'm trying to hammer each of those things in the outline. Um, and now, you know, I've written about uh, almost half of it, probably closer to past that. And now I'm just going back and I- I'm not throwing it away anymore. I'm saying, okay, I like this part this part is worth expanding. Now let me yeah. think about how I'm going to expand that part. This part I'm completely throwing out. Um, this part I'm completely rewriting uh, as opposed to, you know, going in through, but it, it, this one's a little bit easier because I have an end goal. You know, my end goal is I want to teach people how to talk to each other <laughs> essentially. Right. And not, not that I'm yeah. saying I'm some authority on it. I, I don't, I feel very uncomfortable with the concept of authority. Um, it's more like how can I spark the inspiration or, or curiosity to be able to sense simple things like body language or, you know, I, I mean, like starting a conversation is so similar. Once again, know the way broadly with having like little tricks, like, uh, like as a guitarist, 
you know, I think it's valuable sometimes for me not to play for a while. But then when I pick it back up again, I have this three chord jazz phrase that I, I don't know why. I just love it. I've played it since I was like 17. And that's the first thing I think of, you know, or or like right now I'm, I'm really, uh, really fancying like a, a minor seventh, sixth into the fifth into the uh, the second, you know, of a, of a thing. Like just something with that. It's, I'm really digging it. So there's a certain set of a phrase that I know I pick up the guitar and I can do that and get rolling. Well, there's mm-hmm. like that with conversations, you know, like the one that I start this episode with, with what do you like to do that makes you happy? You know, I got that because I was so sick of having so many, I used to travel every week for work and I was so sick of sitting next to somebody on an airplane and them having a conversation with me. And I'm like, I don't want to just talk about if I'm from the city we're going to. I don't want to just yeah. talk about how it's turbulent. I don't want to talk about the weather. I want to get into who you are, you know? So I figured out an escape rope, uh, like the Pokemon escape rope from those stupid conversations is what do you like to do that makes you happy? You know, and there's, there's other things that you could do that, you know, like you having a busy day, how's your week been? You know, like there's different little phrases that you could use to get people started. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm meandering away from the point at this point. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the, the book. Like what, uh, what do you think you'll do when you're done? Like how will you market it or, or sell it? I'm going to do it as an ebook and an audiobook, I think. Um, and I think I'll probably self-publish on Amazon because um, that seems like a really easy way of doing it. Um, and I mean, I do I do the podcast and I, I, I have like t- uh, pretty bad dyslexia. So I've gotten really into audiobooks. So I want to make that like super produced um, and really captivating. Um, and then as far as marketing it, I think I'm going to start marketing it on LinkedIn through my business folks and hit hard on this is a way to improve your career. And then, so hit hard on that and see how that can do. And then I really want to also market it to people who are a bit socially awkward or maybe even, you know, on the spectrum because those folks tend to, to have a harder time understanding like cues, you know, uh, how to actually read another person. Right. And, and go down that vein of, people who just want to kind of improve their social, you know, thing. And then also I, I want to market it towards people who are, you know, more looking for, I mean, for lack of a better word, like love, you know what I mean? And then I also, yeah. you know, like looking for a relationship or things like that. Cause I think so much of that is getting to know somebody and having conversations is, I don't know any other way other than, you know, the happenstances of life. Um, so trying to find those different niches and I, I have several of them, like I was just saying, uh, kind of mapped out a little bit and from there i feel like i just have to figure out ways of uh either buying the ads or or or, uh doing that i i hate marketing i have no interest in marketing but i've been forcing myself lately um there's a great book uh called contagion that i've been reading that uh jonah berger is the author he kind of takes like statistics and applies it to marketing and psychology uh and it's it's fascinating of how much now I just can't see how bad most marketing is. Um, so I've been trying to get better into that to be able to find like trigger points or like fulcrums to be able to latch into it, which is also what led me into even thinking about how to market it in the way I was just describing it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. An ebook would be cool too. Cause I mean, once you write it, it's uh, you have unlimited inventory, you know, if it's a digital product and, 
you can just continue to sell it forever. Yeah, this whole idea came from my wife telling me I should think of uh, doing an ebook for passive income. She's like, you know all this shit. She's like, figure out you know a way that you can have passive income of just making an ebook. Which yeah, yeah, I've I've thought about it too. Yeah, I mean, the way you, I mean, this whole interview, the way that you kind of think about packaging or your music process or any of that kind of stuff, I think would be super, super interesting and and invaluable. That's probably the only thing that I yeah feel like I I would have something to offer with a with a book, but that's a very big very big task to start. You know, I'm used to small smaller projects. No, I don't think of well, I not in a long time have I done something like that of that magnitude. So, do you know who Michael Malice is? He's like a journalist, tr- journalist and troll. No. Yeah, I love him as much as he absolutely drives me up a wall. Uh, he's he's fascinating. He's, he's super fascinating. He wrote a book about North Korea. He's probably like one of the experts on North Korea. Um, he's an interesting character, nonetheless. Uh, but he said something that I latched onto, and that's what I've been doing with this. Is he said that when he writes, he's a super successful author. He goes, I just write a page a day. That's it. One page. Okay, yeah. That's good. It's a good way to do it. Just start writing. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. uh Yeah, that would be a good way. I feel like I've tried to write about it and it's like it's very hard to organize the amount of things. You know, if you have a lot to say about something. I feel like it, it's did so. Did you did you do the outline first for the uh, ebook? You figured out like what are the main like, how do I organize this in a broad sense? This time I did, yeah, yeah, I did, uh, and that also just helped me once again every night be able to step up to the plate and know what to write about, you know. And, and I really yeah. did constrain myself to a page, even when I wanted to write more. I would write a note at the bottom in brackets saying this is where I want to go next, and then the next day yeah, I, I knew where to pick it. up, yeah. Knew where to pick up good, and go with it. Um, it's a good way, yeah. Just the consistency. It's super important, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with practicing, right? Or, you know, creating new songs. It's just a different way of, of approaching it, right? Um, yeah. But, yeah, this time I did have an outline, and I've been trying to stick to it, even though now... So I, I went through... and I, That's actually what I'm... The right side is the Chalk Dinosaur interview, and the left side of this is my uh, review of all of the things I've written so far, and... Um, you know, now I feel like I have more I want to talk about and, you know, expand different sections, add new sections, um, which has kind of been nice. Uh, something I heard John Mayer say like a long time ago too, from listening to him on interviews, he said, uh, there's a lot of value in walking away from the guitar and not playing it for a few months. Um, and I feel like that's kind of where I'm at with this is, you know, I wrote for, I mean, I think the June 6th is when I wrote the outline. So I've written every day from then until to about a week and a half ago. Uh, and then from there, I've been just reading what I wrote and not actively writing more, but just critiquing, giving bullet points of what I want to go through next. And now I'm going to go back into writing probably next week. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pause the recording then we can, you know, do it in post for a second, but I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, John, for, for taking the time. Uh, really inspiring. I have a lot to, to, to kind of go off from this, honestly. Uh, thanks for bracketing at the end there. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I will put all the information of how to get 
into listening, you know, on uh, the show notes. But other than that, thank you so much. And we can we can definitely pause here. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me.